I'm believing that this morning I'm representing the Lord. I come in the confidence of the Lord, not in my own strength. I have nothing to offer. I'm the platform on which the Lord stands. So if I could cover myself up and all you receive is the Lord this morning, that'd be my desire. Um, so I'm gonna do an introduction. I'm gonna give you all the secrets ahead of time <laughs> so that you don't have to wonder where we're going this morning. The topic that we're talking about today, of course, is the tabernacle. And I wanna go even deeper beyond that the tabernacle related to worship. So what I want to say about worship that I want to want you to keep in mind this whole time is that in my mind, worship is about agreement with God. If you were to get a simple definition about what worship is, because a lot of times people ask the question, well, what is worship? Is it singing a song? Is it, you know, how I live my life? What is it? When everything that we do, worship, we are in agreement with God. And in any place where we deviate from that, we have stepped outside of worshiping God because we've turned away. So worship is agreement with God 100%. And that changes everything. So agreement with God, it was what God was looking for when he pulled the Israelites out of Egypt. He was looking for worship. He said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and tell him that to let my people go so that they may worship me. That's how they wound up in the wilderness. Because God wanted a people who would worship him. So I want to say, um, and then I'm going to pray one more time. But we're going to look at the tabernacle. We're going to dig into a little bit of that, the, the little furniture that was in there, the, the articles, the smells, the sights, the sounds, those types of things. And then we're going to look at God being the judge of our worship. Not being about what you want, what I want, but what he's worthy of. And it goes beyond, again, a song. It goes beyond just thinking, well, if I do the right things, then I'm worshiping God. Because this God, in all the songs that we heard this morning, he's big, he's great, he's worthy. He cannot be contained. And I've put him in a box so many times, and the Lord has been challenging me as I've been going through this message. <laughs> he deals with the speaker first. Believe me, I've been repenting a lot. Um, but he is not to be put in a box, nor can he be put in a box. And so today, my heart's desire is that we as a people of God would take this amazing God out of the box and worship him with full agreement in our lives. That's my desire. So I'm going to pray one more time, and then we're going to dig into this. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for bringing us into this place today. It was by your will that we are here. As the song said, it's not my life. 
It's not the decisions that I make, but God, it's all that you are doing. It's all of who you are. It's your story, God, and you've invited us into that. We love you, God, because you first loved us. It wasn't our idea. It was your heart. It was your idea first, God, and we respond to you. God, we want to say that we need your help. And in this message today, God, and all the things we're going to unpack, <laughs> we're asking God for clarity from your heart, that you would be the judge of our worship. God, we're asking that you would show us in your word what it looked like. Not so we can say, okay, this is how it applies today, but God, so we can see that what you have desired and are worthy of has never changed. You are always 100% worthy of us and everything in us. All of our allegiance, all of our agreement, all of our affection, God, is to be yours. And so we ask, God, that you would help us. Help us in this time and help us to respond to you. To respond to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I think we're ready to uh, dig into this. If I were to give this message a title, it's worthy of it all. A living, moving tabernacle. That's who we are. Our key verse today is Revelation 4.11. Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Again, tabernacle, we're looking at worship today. It's 100% agreement with God. And we're going to look at all the stuff that's in there and then dig into some more meat. <clears throat> so you should have gotten a handout this morning. Um, called Types and Shadows of the Tabernacle Found in Scripture. To start out, I want to say that the scriptures that we're looking at today are a type and shadow of the worship that was and is and is to come. And we know someone who was and is and is to come. Amen? The living God. So this worship is all about him. I want to say that, um, first of all, what I'm basing this off of, Hebrews 9, this type and shadow that I'm mentioning, this is an illustration for the present time. I'm just reading this. Indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. Verse 23, it was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. But the heavenly things themselves were better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands. That was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. In Colossians 2.17, it says, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, however, is found in Christ. 
So we're going to look at a few things here with the, the types of shadows, and we're going to go through these pretty quick, which is why you have the handout. <laughs> and I hope that you'll take these and study these, dig into these scriptures later, um, so that you can get this for yourself, so that the Lord can um, impart this to you in your own time with him. So first one we're going to, I just want to say about worship. Again, this was all about God wanting a people to agree with him. So God, he's the one who pulled them out of Egypt and brought them into the desert. Have any of us been in the desert? I wonder why. I would say it's not necessarily because we're being punished, but because God desires that we be completely his, 100%, agreeing with him. And sometimes he has to do that in the desert. The Lord brought them out because he wanted to meet with them. God made a way and created a space to meet with the Israelites. So he didn't just bring them out there and just kind of let them do their thing. He had a plan all along. That plan was to get them to stop worshiping the idols and the gods of the land, the false gods, so that they would be a people who would worship him and him only. Worshiping him and him only. There was that cloud by day and fire by night. I think that's pretty cool. And basically, this, this cloud helped to guide the Israelites as they were in the desert. And that fire at night. Now, I would say it was to keep warm because I had my coat on a little while ago because I'm like, it's cold. But anyway. <laughs> um, but to give them light at night because they were traveling day and night. And when that cloud moved, they moved. When that cloud stayed put, they stayed put. And I think about the glory of God, the glory of God that we want to see in this place, where when he moves, we move. When he says, stay put, we stay put. Now, it's another sermon for somebody else to really talk about what happens in that glory when his kabod rests on us, where you can do nothing but just bow before him lay prostrate before him. That's all you can do in the weight of his presence. That's what we want. We want him to show up, to show out, to be the biggest in our hearts and our minds, for him to take over our imaginations, for us to be fascinated with him, to be captivated by him, to be our hearts to be conquered because he's king. There's the blood, the death, the offerings, and the sacrifices. There's so much blood. And sacrifice was needed to atone for the sins of the Israelites. And we're so thankful for Jesus, what he did once and for all. There's no need to sacrifice over and over again. Jesus has made the way. That veil has been torn. And we have the boldness and the ability to come before the throne of grace, to come unashamed, to come and give glory to the living God. There's nothing holding us back. He ripped that veil. The tent of meeting, God wanted to meet with and dwell with the Israelites, and he made arrangements to accomplish this. He made a way. Oil 
and lamps. God called for the priests in that tabernacle, in the, in the furniture, in the articles, to be consecrated, to be set apart unto the Lord as holy. Those lamps, they were lit in the morning and at night. I think about the oil that God desires that we have as we prepare for his return, where he's saying, be ready, be watching, be sober-minded. That's worship. That's agreement with God. God, you are right in everything. You are right in everything. And that brings me into alignment with him, where I don't say, well, but this sounds good. Well, I don't know about that. No. We are the people of God, and we say what makes us different, like the Israelites, is that our God dwells with us. That's what makes us different from all the other people in the world, all the other religions out there. Our God is alive, and he dwells with us. There's the Ark of the Covenant. The ark carried the covenant, and it had other items in it, too. The scriptures there uh, point to those. But it was the only piece of furniture at that time in the Holy of Holies of that tabernacle. And on top of that ark of the covenant, so there's this, this ark, and there's these cherubim, these angels that are hanging out over it. And over it is a covering, and it's called the mercy seat. The mercy seat. And in that most holy place, the mercy seat was a place where God met with his people, where he met with the priests. We got to have that mercy seat. We don't just flippantly come before the Lord. We don't just, well, here I am, or, <laughs> you know, I'm not feeling that today, so I'm just going to whatever. No. The mercy seat is where we say, oh, my God, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner, but thank you. Jesus, that I could come boldly. Again, that veil has been ripped. There's no excuse. There's no, nothing holding us back. Pastor Ben talked last week about the people who brought their, their gifts. You know, they, they funded this tabernacle. They used their resources to put this thing together. And God expected that those who had the skill to do it to do it. Does this sanctuary look beautiful today? There are people who are gifted to make this sanctuary look so beautiful. They use their gift to build this tabernacle. The priests and the Levites, God chose specific people to serve and minister in that tabernacle. All right? So these weren't just people where it's like, oh, they, they don't have anything else to do. We'll just have them serve here. But God had a people who were helping to facilitate worship. People who were speaking to the people and saying, you guys, let's stay in agreement with God. Let's not go to the left or to the right. Let's stay in agreement. God used them to keep his people in line. The sacrifices, the offerings were bought, brought without defect. That means that you didn't take the, the little lamb that had a broken leg and say, yep, you're off to the offering because <laughs> you ain't no good anyway. No, you brought the best. 
The Israelites, when they sacrificed to the Lord, they brought the best. And I want to say this sermon is not about you coming in here and outwardly doing something in worship that tries to say to everyone, I'm bringing my best. It's not about that. This is not a sermon on how you can get your exercise in worship. This is not that. This is something deeper than that, something more that God is worthy of. He's worthy of our agreement 100%, 100% of the time. The aromas and the fragrances in the tabernacle, they were unique only to the tabernacle. And the reason why they were only unique to the tabernacle, if you read it, the Lord said, don't replicate this because you want to smell it. Don't try and recreate this this oil or this anointing oil or this incense because you like the way it smells. If you read it, it says, do not do that. This is not for, oh, I like that perfume. Let me get that. No, it's not about that. This the, the aromas that came forth, the fragrances, the incense and the oil were holy unto the Lord. They were holy. They were set apart to worship him. The Sabbath. I liked what uh, Hannah said a few weeks ago. One thing that stuck out to me about the Sabbath was that God is in control. So I can rest. I could take a Sabbath and rest because God is in control. I don't have to hustle. And there's, some, there's something about what God said about the Sabbath. It's a day of blessing. It's a day where parents bless their children. And they do it every week, still to this day. They do it every week. They speak a blessing over their children. They come into agreement with God and they speak that agreement into the lives of their children. That's worship. Now, there are so many, uh, between Exodus 20 and 40, there's so many colors that I didn't even like pick a scripture. It's like so many. I'm just like, you just read through it and you see the colors, the blues, the purples, the reds. You know, you just read that. But it wasn't a drab place. It wasn't a place you walk in and go, great, we're here again. I mean, <laughs> the tabernacle was a place that was beautiful and it smelled wonderful. I mean, yeah, there was those, you know, bulls being offered, you know. It was a, pr- a fragrance unto the Lord that was pleasing, but I'm not sure how everyone else felt about that. Like, man, it's so much blood. But to the Lord, it was beautiful. The incense, there was a lot of incense burned, both morning and evening, like I said earlier. And as we look later in Scripture, if you look later in Scripture, it talks about in Revelations that the incense represented the prayers of the saints. And I think of a Scripture that says, pray without ceasing. And so this incense incense is constantly arising to the Lord, and it's pleasing to him. It's pleasing. And again, it's not, oh, i got to have my devotions. Here goes my incense. But it's throughout the day. It's, it's, it's that whisper to God, oh, God, you are so worthy and beautiful. God, I acknowledge you. I'm driving in my car right now. God, I acknowledge you on my campus. 
God, let your glory fill this campus. God, let your glory fill this city. Those prayers that go up to say, God, I agree with you. And what you want is what I want. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I want what you want. And the, the glory that came when they were in the tabernacle and the presence of God filled that place and said that the, the cloud came down upon the tabernacle and no one could do anything and you wouldn't want to do anything. It's not one of those things where his presence come and you just go, oh, that was nice. That felt good. Let's, let's get out of here. It's like when he shows up, it's time to say, God, you take as long as you want. Have your way, God. Come, inhabit our praises. Come, God. We need you. We're desperate. And we are desperate for God in this hour, aren't we? I don't care how good life is going. Every moment we are desperate for the living God. Because we agree that he's the answer to everything. We agree that God is right and we want to align with him. So there's nothing that would ever keep us saying, oh, I got this, I'm good. No, we are desperate for the glory of God. We are starving for the glory of God to come and cover us like he covered the Israelites. To come and shake the place like he did Mount Sinai. And the people are like, oh, no, Moses, don't let God speak to us, please. No, you do it. We're desperate for this living God to have his way with us. He's worthy of it. So that's the type and shadows I wanted to bring to our attention as we move into the next part of this. Keep these things in mind. They're a type and shadow of what is, what was, and is to come. So because of what we looked at, I want to spend a, a good amount of time as I finish up this sermon on looking and asking God to be the judge of our worship. In light of what we've seen, even in the worship this morning, God was making himself so big, because he is. I mean, we can't even contain the reality of how big he is. Like, our minds would be like, pop, 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 <laughs> There's no way we could contain it, yet he gives us a taste of it. Well, we're going to ask God to be the judge as we seek to answer the question that I'm going to ask us today concerning our worship. And again, this is not about how we sing a song, how we play our instrument, how we do whatever. It's, it's so much more than that. How we act and worship is so much more than that. God is wanting to judge our hearts. Are we in agreement with him? God judges worship. Where do we stand? So worship was very important for God's people. And if it was important for them, it's true for us today. Remember, God brought Israel out of Egypt because he wanted a people who would worship him. He said, let my people go that they may worship, Exodus 9, 1. 
The desert, the tabernacle, the covenant, it's all been about worship all along, worshiping Yahweh, the one true God. Earlier as I introduced this sermon, I said that worship was agreement with God, 100%. So if we are people who pray, same thing. We come to agree with God 100% in prayer. That's worship. All of our lives, if we are believers and followers of Jesus Christ, it's about agreement with God. And that agreement is worship. It is the game changer. Merging the tabernacle of yesterday with us today, I want to affirm that we are living, moving tabernacles who agree with God's agenda and priorities. His agenda and his priorities. So if worship is what God is looking for in his people, like the Israelites, like us, then it sets us apart from other nations. So what is our expectation today? What is our reasonable response to our God who is deserving of worship, deserving a 100% agreement? Further, is our worship founded on this agreement, this agreement with his agenda and his priorities? Does our worship reflect the God that we agree with? The Israelites, they wandered in the desert 40 years because there were a bunch who did not agree with God. And they were always grumbling against Moses. And when you grumble against God's leaders, you're actually grumbling against God. That's a scary one. And I have been guilty. So in our worship, are we hitting the target? Or is it possible that we're missing the mark? How can we tell? So there's some things here I'm going to share. And then I want us to respond to God. Not me. I want you, even now, to begin to ask the Lord, is this me? How shall I respond? Lord, is there something there that you want to bring into alignment with you? And how shall I respond? So the first one is, does our worship line up with scripture? Do we long for the courts of our God? Psalm 84, 2 and verse 10. Do we ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name? Psalm 96, 8. Do we enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise? Psalm 100, verse 4. Are we taking our place as a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices accepted to God through Jesus Christ? 1 Peter 2, 5. Do we come up? Do we kneel? Do we bow? Do we sing joyful songs? Do we give him glory, the glory due his name? Do we worship with gladness? Do we come with joyful songs? Are we the true worshiper, worshipers the Father is seeking? <clears throat> Isaiah 29, 13, the Lord says, These people come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they have been taught. 
Or what about John 4.23? Yet a time is coming and it has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. This is agreement with God. These are the kind of worshipers he's seeking. Do you agree with me? Who is winning? Is God's priorities winning? Are they winning? Or our preferences? And this is where it gets a little... <laughs> so remember, keep this in mind as I, as I go through this. The definition I have been using for worship is agreement with God. This goes beyond all the things I've talked about. It's about the spirit and attitude of our worship. It is worshiping in spirit and in truth day in and day out. So what is the difference between our preferences and God's priorities? Let's take a look. Our priorities and preferences, our personalities, look like this. Worship wars. Politics that divide. My rights to have it my way. They seem to be more important than biblical Christianity. These create disunity, which according to scripture should not exist among God's people. And therefore not in our worship either. In our agreement with God, those things have no place. It's all about him. It's all about his kingdom that's coming. His rule and his reign. Does this sound familiar? Moses. You go hear from God and speak to God on our behalf. We will be content with doing what we've always done. Grumble and complain. Judge. Instead of Israel becoming the people of God, they wanted to live how they always lived and just have Moses be the one who's seeking the Lord. It then made it easy for them to grumble against Moses when things did not go their way because they did not understand God or how God was using Moses. When the Israelites grumbled against God's servants, they were ultimately grumbling against God. And he took care of that real quick. If we are honest, and I know I have been guilty of this, like with Moses, sometimes we put unneeded pressure on our pastors, our worship leaders, our preachers, our ministry coordinators, to do something in our services that only the Holy Spirit can do. We're not to treat God's people this way. If we are guilty, we need to repent for judging, condemning, tearing down, and expecting out of those who serve on this platform what only God can give. That's not worship. says here, Exodus 20, 20, 22, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. One of the natures of God is that he's a deliverer. How often Israel forgot that in the desert. They forgot how he delivered them. Israel had opportunity to praise God for deliverance, but oftentimes withheld it instead. They seem more preoccupied with remembering the good old days, the past, blaming Moses for their problems and not seeing God's big picture for deliverance. David, Job, and others in the Bible, they praised God even when things were not so good. 
because they trusted God. They had a history with him. They were worshipers of God. They agreed with God that he's right all the time. When we withhold praise and worship from God because we are busy judging his servants or our problems seem bigger than his worth, it is us who keep God from moving in new ways in our lives and amongst us together. And believe me, I've had my share of being down in the dumps. <laughs> but what kept me from staying there is my agreement with God. He is a deliverer. And because of God's nature, he will not let us stay down in the dumps. And I'm not trying to speak against anyone in this place. What I am saying is our God is a deliverer. And if there's joy to be had, healing to be had, he's got it. So even in the midst of life just sucking, we give him the glory that's due his name anyway. We don't withhold from him. He's a big God and worthy. God's priorities look like this. Deuteronomy 6, 13 through 14. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. Matthew 4, 10. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord God and serve him only. Matthew 16, 23. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God but merely human concerns. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? Proverbs eight seventeen, I love those who love me and those who seek me, find me. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Sounds like agreement. Luke twenty two forty two. 42, father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will be done, but yours be done. The difference between our preferences and God's priorities is that he's right. <laughs> he's right. And notice that when I read his priorities, all of it was scripture. I didn't put my opinion in there. He spoke for himself. Our preferences keep us from worshiping God. If we agree with him, we have to stand down and let him be fully God. We're almost coming to an end. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> okay, here's another one. Consumer of worship or participant in worship? A consumer is someone who looks to get or take. A participant is someone who looks to give and share. Bless you. Here is what a consumer or participant in worship may look like. 
the takers. We come to church to consume. Because we consume, we judge the ministry like it's a product. Because we consume, we wait for the worship leader or preacher to do something that stirs us to action. Because we consume, we are very concerned about our preferences and highlight our needs over everything else. Because we consume, we come ready to fold our arms and spectate. Sometimes we don't even move our mouths to sing the praises of God because we're so focused on what we are going to get out of the service or what we do not like about the service. Because we consume, we are not even thinking of what God is worthy of and how he wants to minister to his people in various ways throughout the service. Givers. We come to church to participate and to give. Because we participate, we give to God and his people. Because we participate, we come ready to worship with the worship team and receive the preaching of the word with gladness. Because we participate, we make God the priority and tune our hearts and ears to hear what he is saying to us by his spirit and to his people. Because we participate, we open wide our hearts and arms to contribute to the worship environment and give agreement to the preached word and we give ourselves in prayer when it's time to respond. Because we participate, we come expectant that God is going to show up so that he is blessed among us and that he can bless his people. We get out of the way, we're not a hindrance. Because we participate, we come ready to respond to what God is asking for in the hour that we are here. We don't put it off. We don't judge whether or not it's God. We're trusting that when we come in this place, every single person that ministers, ushers, pastors, ministry coordinators, worship leaders, worship teams, singers and musicians, everyone that takes the place and serves in this place, we're trusting that God has put them in place. So we are not the ones who are supposed to go, ooh, I just don't like that. No, it's not about you or me. It's about him. <laughs> when we participate, we come with our time, our effort, our energy, our resources. We come to invest. All right, almost done here. So I feel like the Lord gave me this cool analogy about um, worshipers. Different kinds of worshipers. There's two. There's the football player, fan, and there's the concert goer, okay? Does that make sense? So if we think about our worship in terms of going to a football game or going to a concert to hear our favorite band or singer, I want to describe our attitude toward worship. Both types of worshipers are fans, but only one knows why they are a fan and how to respond as a fan. So here, here's the sports fan worshiper. They pay for good seats, uh, but they're not really sure how the game's going to end. They sweat and go crazy as the game plays on. They come to the game, but they have no idea who's going to win the game. They wear the right colors, cheer at all the right times, in hopes that their noise will be enough to spur the team on to victory. Although, although they are 
they're supporting their team, they probably badmouth the team throughout the week. <laughs> During the game, if the team is not doing so hot, they probably boo them just as much as the opposing team fans do. And when they leave the game, they leave just as empty as when they came in. Now here's a concert goer, worshiper. They paid a lot to be there because they know what they're going to get. They sweat too and go crazy depending on the concert. They already know how the concert is going to end. They are ready to respond in the concert however it moves them. They might be quiet, they might sit, they might jump up and down, yell at the top of their lungs, bump somebody in the process, but they're ready to agree and receive. In anticipation for the concert, they may have spent months memorizing the songs and music, and they tell everyone how excited they are about going to hear this group that they just love. During the concert, they participate with hundreds of other people, hundreds of other people, as they too are giving and receiving at the same time in this charged environment. They leave inspired and ready to change the world. Can you relate to that at all? So summing up the fans, as worshipers of the living God, we know who is victorious in the end. Shouldn't we respond accordingly? Our personal time with God in worship at home, it informs how we worship among others. King David said, I'm going to go to the congregation and tell of all his wonders. Our personal time with God informs what we expect him to do amongst the congregation. God is the object of our worship, not the music style or the teaching style. Jesus has made a way for us to boldly approach the throne of grace. We don't, we don't have to be ashamed in God's presence or in the midst of his people. We're in this together. So we are not to be those who look at the worship team to say, entertain us and it better be good or we're not moving the worship people and the pastors are not our cheerleaders we have to stir up our own souls psalms 42 says why my soul are you downcast why so disturbed within me put your hope in god for i will yet praise him my savior and my god Psalm 103, verse 2, praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Psalm 35, 18, I will give you thanks in the great assembly. Among the throngs, I will praise you. Psalm 105, 1, give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done. We are not called to spectate. We're called to participate. We're called to have a life that agrees with God. We're not consumers of this thing called worship. We participate together in our daily lives. And when we gather together as a congregation, I want to end with this, that praise is seen, it's heard, and it's felt. It's agreement with God from the start and from the heart. It's bringing a sacrifice of praise because sometimes you just don't feel like it. It's praise that tells of his wonders and what he has done. It's an outward adoration of a worthy God, the worthy God. It's praise 
for him in the sanctuary. We can clap our hands, we can dance, we can kneel, we can be silent before him, but it's all agreement with who he is. Worship is an action word. Worship is about what he wants at the time he wants it. God responds to our praises by releasing us into worship. You can actually feel the shift in the spirit when the Lord releases us into worship. You can feel it. And in that, we're called to respond in appropriate ways, to move when that cloud moves, to wait when that cloud waits. It is a straight encounter with God in reality. He is seated on a real throne, and he comes to dwell with us in our personal lives. And when we gather as a congregation, he comes to dwell with us. We respond to him in worship as he reveals his heart for us in the congregation. Some of the responses are repenting, agreeing that he is right and we are wrong. Some of the responses are praying, agreeing with him and asking for his help, his will, and his transformation. Um, responding with obedience, agreeing with God quickly by taking action to do what he tells us to do. We respond by blessing him and blessing others. We come with humility when his vod shows up, when that glory shows up, we come in humility. We come ready to put our agenda to the side because the king is here. The ultimate goal in worship is agreement with God. If I could have the worship team come up. It's agreement with God. And that's where the Israelites were missing it. They were in that desert and they were missing it. Because all they wanted was what they wanted. They missed the agenda of God. God has glory and he wants it to dwell among us. He wants it to dwell among his people. The expectation of worship has not changed. We have forgotten the height from which we have fallen. But the Lord says, just repent. Come up. Agree with me. That's what he's saying. We will see our situations change. Young people, and I was thinking there's going to be, you know, as you're praying about the sermon, you're thinking this whole role of radiate. But I want to say, young people, as you agree with God, you're going to see your situations change. You're going to see yourselves be the movers and shakers in your schools. Because you agree with God. When you agree with God, out the door goes that fear and intimidation. Because you agree with God and it gives you some kind of boldness that you just cannot explain. And I say the same for leaders. If your gift is leading, do it diligently as you agree with God. Neighbors, love them as you love yourself. As you agree with God. Spouses, called to love and respect one another. As you agree with God, God's going to help you do it. Body of Christ, worship the Lord and serve him only. Agreement. So we're going to um, enter to, we're actually continuing worship. We're going to enter into this song, and we're going to do one verse, and then I'm going to ask you just to respond to the Lord. One of the cool things about this altar is 
It's hard to kneel in your seat if you need to kneel. It's like bump. But the altar is a place where you're actually stepping out to respond to the Lord. Not to show everybody I'm stepping out, but to say, God, I agree. And here I come. I come to give myself to you. That's why we invite people to come to the altar. So it's not about the person next to you or <laughs> what if they laugh at me or, oh, it doesn't matter. We come to respond to the Lord. So we're going to do um, one verse of the song, and then I will invite you forward. And you can come before that if you want. The altar is open. <laughs>